Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. Uh, my name is Timothy Brock, and some of you may have uh, recognized me. Sorry, around for quite some time, and uh, I've seen you a few times. Uh, I was, uh, for a number of years, on the faculty of Campbell University Divinity School, and then after that, I was on the faculty of the Shaw University Divinity School, and now I do church consulting, and I am a spiritual director. That's what I do with my uh, life now, I do writing and other kinds of things. When you're a seminary professor, one of the primary sorts of... Uh, blessings that happens in your life is that you get to teach classes and, and that's good. That's all structured. You give tests and all those sort of things. But if you are really fortunate, you begin to uh, invest in the lives of the individual students uh, that come your way. And one of the nice things about having a lot of different people on the faculty is that different people relate to different sorts of people. And so there are some students who uh, got close to me over the course of time, uh, really uh, took to heart the things I was saying in class, made good grades, wrote good papers, and then we moved beyond just that professor-student relationship. Daniel, if you'll move one more slide. Uh, Andy Hale uh, was one of those students. Andy is the elephant in the room this morning. Uh, I guess, or the, the elephant who is absent. If you know anything about him, you know that he's a University of Alabama football fan, and so am I. His dad graduated from university, and I graduated from university as well. So, roll tide, five national championships, nine years, go for it, yeah. Uh, I went to Campbell in 2002, in the fall, and that was the first time that I met Andy as an undergraduate. Andy was, this was just after the 9-11 events, and Andy was all charged up about the kinds of things that had happened and the injustices that were a part of the process. And so he was walking down the hall one day and said, I'm thinking about quitting college, joining the military, and going to fight. So I stopped him in his tracks and I said, if you do that, I will take a sledgehammer to both of your knees because you're not going to sign up to go. You're going to stay here. Your work is here. Your calling is here. He looked at me kind of like you're looking at me now. <laughs> Military service would have been great, but for him it would have been a secondary thing because his calling was to ministry. And so over the course of the time uh, at Campbell in undergraduate and graduate uh, degrees, I got to know Andy. He took a course called Making and Equipping Disciples course that I taught and in that class I described to the students some of the more traditional ways that the church particularly the Baptist Church have tried to create disciples over the course of the years and then a part of what in my classes you would spend the first half of the semester looking at the traditional ways of doing things so that if you got a church job you wouldn't drown and then the second part of the class was looking at new and emerging models different ways of doing church and being together 
And so in that second half of class, one of the churches that we studied was an emerging church uh, in California. And Andy got really excited about the study of this particular church. And guess what the name of that church was? Mosaic. So you weren't the first ones <laughs> to have the name. And it planted a little seed in Andy's mind. And as you know, Andy went to a traditional church serve, uh, structure first, served as minister of youth in a local church, and then had the dream to do this. So I always take about a half a percent credit for planting seeds in Andy's mind. And I have been very fortunate over the course of the years to be included in their life and in your life together. I was at their wedding. And when their first child was born, I was the preacher on call uh, to come and preach to you, not knowing which weekend or when, when, when the child was going to be born. So I was here the first time for that. And then a few years later, Andy was doing some sort of a marathon or a competitive kind of thing, and I was the, the person who came to preach them. So I've, I've actually been here a couple of times, and I've made small contributions to your church over the year, monetary contributions, because I support your work and support what Andy has done. Uh, over the course of the past few weeks, I did have brunch with, uh, with Andy uh, to talk about his new uh, work and his new position and how he was um, making the transition here. And Andy was over-functioning, trying to get everything in line before he left here. And I kept telling him, it's not your responsibility anymore. These folks are going to make it. You can do a little bit of work, but it's their responsibility. You've got to go to this new place. And I tried to ask all the good questions to see, Andy, you know that you're going from a very avant-garde, no rules, free-flowing thing to a First Baptist church in the Deep South. And I had done the same thing. I, I was minister of education at the First Baptist Church of Huntsville, Alabama. And so, you know, I know, I know, and, and he doesn't know. <laughs> he doesn't really know. He knows a part of it. He knows what's going to happen. And then he informed me that he wanted me to preach on Memorial Day weekend, which was the first Sunday after he was gone. So, you know, I wasn't sure if I would find all of you people in, in, you know, in tears or if there would be anybody here or whatever. So I, he either has a high or a very low opinion of me for asking the question. But anyway, uh, this is where we find ourselves on Memorial Day weekend. And I want to share a little bit about uh, a passage of scripture with you and then see what your reactions and responses might be. Daniel, move to the next one. I have a confession. I talked to Caitlin earlier in the week and said, Caitlin, I've got a couple of passages of Scripture that really I think would be appropriate. And we talked through those passages of Scripture. And she said that this passage, this passage from Luke, would be the most appropriate passage for this particular time and moment. So you have Caitlin to, to thank for that. But it's also, it also happens to be one of my very favorite passages in all of Scripture. It is um, one of those post-resurrection appearances. Uh, Jesus appears to disciples after the resurrection on Easter Sunday in this particular case and uh, provides some surprising interpretations of his own life and work and uh, a surprising amount of hope in that whole process. So that's a part of the confession that I have. The second is uh, I love artwork. And when I teach uh, passages of scripture that have a story, I try as best I can to include various pieces of artwork. How many of you have seen the piece on your left before? Have you seen that piece before? 
uh, the Emmaus Walk is the name of that. It's by uh, a Swiss artist, Robert Zund. It was done around 1900, and it looks absolutely nothing like what the the actual walk to Emmaus looks like. This is the European white Jesus in the forest sort of approach to what it looks like. So nothing like that. The second one is one of those sort of teaching pictures that we use for children when we're teaching Sunday school. Next slide. Uh, the one on the left on this particular side is by a Chinese Christian artist named He Qi who does his uh, artwork in a very Picasso-esque Asian style. And that's the, the back of uh, Jesus walking down the road. I have a, a signed uh, pro, uh, poster of this at home, that print. And then back, back one. And then this one on this side is a little bit abstract. You see what's going on there? It's the two walkers and then the Jesus figure is kind of a shadowy figure. I like abstract stuff, so. Next one. Uh, the walk is one part of the story, and then the dinner is the other part of the story. So these are some very familiar uh, looks at the dinner. The one on the left is a Rembrandt. It's a Rembrandt. And the one on the right is an icon that is often used by people who are praying uh, and focusing on this particular passage of Scripture. The one on uh, the far side is another hiki. And the one on this side is, again, a more abstract a picture of that moment when the disciples recognize who Jesus is. Any of you art people, art lovers? Take it early. Okay. Next slide. Uh, the next one is I want you to focus here. This is called the Rebirth of Hope, and it's a piece of artwork that I actually commissioned for my 48th uh, birthday. One of my students at Campbell, Nell Grimm produced this, and I kind of coached her about it. The first thing that you may notice is that the art form is a mosaic. Those are individually cut pieces of paper that are glued in a, in a fashion, and in a pattern. And if you come up and look at this, now or later, you can come up and look now if you'd like, or later, you'll find out each one of the feathers for the phoenix is individually cut and placed. And then the centerpiece here, if you'll go back one slide, you see the hiki piece over here? We copied it in a paper mosaic here. Now what strikes you odd about this? What looks, what's odd? Come on. The phoenix? The phoenix, yeah. Uh, the phoenix. Why is a phoenix in a picture about the Gospels? That, that's kind of, anything else? Phoenix is a sign of rebirth. Yes, and that the title is the rebirth of hope. Uh, the phoenix was actually used as a Christian symbol in the Coptic church, the Egyptian church, in the early part of the Christian symbol. So, if you'd walked into a Coptic church in Egypt in the 200s, this would have made complete sense because they used the, the phoenix, which is a, a mythical animal, as a sign of the Christian experience. And this particular phoenix, does anybody recognize him? Nobody? This is the phoenix from Harry Potter. This is Fox, the phoenix 
that Dumbledore had. That it was modeled just after him. If you go look at the movie later, you'll find it that, he, that that's him. And each one of the feathers in his headdress is an individually cut piece of paper. So it's the idea of at this moment in time, when the disciples recognized who Jesus was, there was a rebirth. And it was a rebirth of hope. It changed their entire perspective. And so that's the focus of what we're going to do today as we look at that particular passage from Luke. I want you to keep this in mind. This is in my study. It's right opposite my uh, desk. This is what I look at every day when I write. Very important piece of artwork for me. It's invaluable, by the way. I don't know that I would ever take anything for it. If you use the next slide. The commentary. Uh, what I want to do is to read the passage of Scripture from Luke. And if you have your Bibles, please uh, join with me. Uh, it's the 24th chapter of Luke, uh, beginning in verse 13 and following in two parts. And as I'm reading, I want to provide a little bit of commentary and hopefully some insights that you may or may not have heard about this passage before. Hopefully you'll learn something. And then I'm going to share some of my own reflections and insights as well. So, in verse 13. Now on that same day, which would have been Easter, the first Easter, the Sunday, two of them, two of Jesus' followers, were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Okay, we don't know where Emmaus was. There are traditional sites that the tour guides will take you to and say this is Emmaus, but we don't know precisely where it was. We just know that it was seven miles away from Jerusalem. Now how would they have gotten there? They were walking. And unlike the forest scene that you saw earlier, this would have been stark, probably getting warm, uh, probably very bright. Uh, when was the last time that you walked seven miles? Anybody? Anybody's a runner? Is that right? Seven miles? Okay. Seven miles will take it out of you in a normal setting, but in a heated setting, it's going to take it out a lot. Okay, now, the idea that they were leaving Jerusalem. What do we know about Jerusalem? The city of Jerusalem? City on a hill. So what were they doing? They were walking downhill. They were leaving Jerusalem, so they were walking downhill. When you walk downhill, what happens to your calves? You get a little inflamed. So this is a, this is a, a, this is a healthy walk uh, on a day where they are feeling very, very heavy. They're going downhill. They're leaving Jerusalem. What would have just happened in Jerusalem? The Passover. So they would have had a religious experience of Passover in Jerusalem, which was uh, the, the goal of every Jewish person is to have Passover in, in Jerusalem. That was their goal. And then on top of that, they would have experienced the brutal death of Jesus. And then the rumors that were happening that Jesus might be alive. So they're in, they're in a state, but they're leaving town, going away. And as they, were uh, as they were leaving, they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. We came to celebrate this significant religious experience. We thought that Jesus, uh, you know, last Sunday, the, the triumphant entry, 
We thought that he was the Messiah. We thought he was the one. And now he's dead. And our hopes have been destroyed, bashed. But then there's this other sort of rumor stuff that's going on behind the scenes that maybe, maybe he's not dead. And in verse 15, while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, uh, a lot of people will try to interpret that to say Jesus was doing some sort of a trick, a Jedi mind trick, so that they wouldn't recognize him until the appropriate time. I think it had less to do with Jesus doing that and in the fact that these individuals were, were grieving. They were in a state of grief. And what happens when we're in grief? Sometimes we, we fail to note what's going on around us. We can't see. So it's not the Jedi mind trick on the part of Jesus. It's the fact that they were so wrapped up in their grief and their hurt and, and their wonder and curiosity that they, they just couldn't see clearly the person in front of them, which is going to be even more clear in just a moment or more fun. He said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you were walking along? They stood still, looking sad. They literally stopped in their tracks. And their response then was, then one of them said, whose name was Cleopas, answering him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? Now how, how would you read that? That response? What emotion do you have associated with that? Frustration. Okay. So frustration. Uh, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem that doesn't know about the things that have taken place in the last few days? What other emotions? Sarcasm. Are you the only stranger who doesn't know what's happened? What else? Incredulous. Incredulous. Are you the only one who doesn't know about this? Some anger. So there could be all sorts of emotions tied to this and they would all be legitimate because that's what happens in grief. In grief, in moments when you've experienced loss, uh, the Kubler-Ross, the very fine theologian, says that it's, it's like a pinwheel of emotions. You blow on the pinwheel and at one minute you're, you've lost and it angers at the top. And another it's disbelief and another it's bargaining. And it's just all ranges of emotions that happen when you've, when you've experienced a loss. And so I think that's what's going on here. So you could read it in any one of those ways because these people were in deep grief. Now have you ever wondered why they named that disciple Cleopas? Anybody? Anybody have an interpretation of that? Heard an interpretation? There is a tradition that says that Cleopas was Mary, the mother of Jesus' brother. So Cleopas was Jesus' uncle. So he's walking down the road with his uncle. And they can't recognize who he is. You've never heard that before? Does that change the dynamic for you? Jesus is ministering to a family member as they're walking down the road. I thought that was very cool. Now that's just part of the tradition. We don't know if that's true or not. But that's another way to interpret it. So, Jesus then says, plays dumb. What things? 
They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who is a mighty prophet in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified. And then this is the saddest phrase in all of Scripture. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. There is nothing worse that can happen in a life than to lose hope. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some of the women of our group astounded us. Now, women couldn't testify in court. They couldn't provide objective testimony because they were women. Only men could be trusted. So the idea that the women were there first, the women were the first preachers of the gospel, they shared the good news first, they couldn't wrap their minds around that. They astonished us, they were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said. Imagine that, women got it right. I'm sorry, being sarcastic. Um, but they did not see Jesus. And then the stranger, Jesus, said to them, Oh, how foolish you are! And how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer all these things and then enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in Scripture. Now this is where I get ticked at Luke. Uh, why didn't you tell us what Jesus was saying? Why didn't, why didn't you write down that sermon? Why didn't you write down those coaching points? Why didn't you write down everything that Jesus said at that moment in time? So that we could have it. and We could know what was said between the two of them. But it was, must have been powerful. It must have been something uh, that was a reiteration of the things that Jesus had preached all along. Uh, but it was powerful. I'm going to have a conversation with, with Luke about that and when I get to heaven, if I get there, assuming I get there, and figure that out. Okay. So the walk is ending. As they came near to the village, which they were going, Emmaus, he walked ahead as though he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now over. You don't travel after dark in, the, in these times because there are people wandering the roads trying to pick off travelers at night. So you just don't travel after dark. So stay with us. Uh, we want to hear more. Okay? So he went to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sights. I have an idea that they got all excited, started jumping up and down and Jesus just snuck out. That's my image of that, but whatever image that you want to go with there. Then they said, were not our hearts burning within us? while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. Have you ever had a heart's burning within this moment? 
when you've heard scripture read and it resonated so closely with your life and your experience. It was such a balm. It was the balm in Gilead that uh, Bishop Curry spoke about during the royal wedding. It was the thing that affected your life. They knew something was going on. They just couldn't name it until this moment. So at the same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. Okay? What image do you get there? They got up at that moment. What happened? What's going on? Excited? Confused? They got up, ran seven miles uphill in the dark. Dangerous with thieves and others around them. But they got up, ran seven miles uphill in the dark to be with their companions and to share the good news with them. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then, while they were talking, Jesus himself stood with them and said to them, Peace be with you. Okay. I have a few comments and observations that I want to make about this passage of Scripture. And again, my whole point of teaching Scripture is the idea that the stories of the scriptures, the truths of the scriptures, resonate with us today at some level. Uh, I don't know if any of you are musicians, a few of you are, but if we were to go over to one of the mandolins and pluck the C string of that mandolin, all the other stringed instruments in the room would start resonating. The C string on that, those other instruments would start resonating in sympathetic resonance is what it's called. So what we do when we study scripture is we pluck the C string and parts of ourselves begin to resonate within us. And we find ways to apply the truths from the scriptures to our own lives and situations. And the observations that I want to share today uh, focus on this moment in time for your community and see if there may be some things that will resonate with you in this process. Next slide, Daniel. Uh, next. Comment. The spiritual life, both individually and corporately, is often described as a journey. There are many metaphors in the scripture that are used to describe the spiritual life, but a journey is, is an, a predominant image. In the text, the walk to Emmaus is used for, as a metaphor for the spiritual life. It's not just walking seven miles downhill or uphill. It's a metaphor for the spiritual life. Next. The Mosaic community, as I understand it, uh, has been, is now, and will continue to be on a journey. And I contend that this journey is the process of becoming the community of faith that God has, is now, and will be creating you to be and become in the future. That's how I define the journey that you are on. Back in that class many years ago, uh, Andy began to get glimpses of the type of community that he would like to participate in and minister to. 
that was copied from another church that had those same images later on down the pike. So there's no original ideas, just recasting them in new ways. And so those seeds were, were sort of sown at that particular moment in time. And this is always about a process. It's never about getting there. That's the frustrating thing about when you look at life as a journey. You never get there. You're always on the journey. You're always in process. And at this particular moment in time, the way I see your process is that above everything else in the world, that God is calling this community to be a particular church in a particular place at a particular time. And that your task is to grab onto that and to become the community of faith that God wants you to be, knowing that you'll never get there. Okay. Next. In this passage, the travelers experienced a full range of emotions. Sadness, confusion, annoyance, curiosity, heart, uh, warm-heartedness, hope, and ultimately joy. Go ahead. In this time of transition, the members of the community will experience a full range of emotions, each in her or his time and in her or his way. So, today, as you gather on Memorial Day weekend with founding pastor moving on to another place uh, with his wife and children gone, you're probably experiencing any number of different kinds of emotions. And there are probably all sorts of different emotions in this room. Sadness, anger. I, I was really surprised when I left a couple of churches that you know people would come up to me one minute and they would be angry. Why are you leaving us? What are you doing? That kind of stuff. And then the next minute, I'm so sorry that you're going. And it's, you, you just never, it's that pinwheel blowing. So the thing that I would hope that you would recognize as members and as leaders of this congregation is the emotions are okay. It's fine. And it's okay if other people are feeling different things than you are. That's fine. They're just in different places. Acknowledge the emotions, process the emotions, and work together to make those things happen. Yeah. Next. In the passage, the stranger used scripture to help the travelers think biblically and theologically about their understanding of Messiah. So in that sermon, that talk that he did, while he, was, he helped them to rethink what they had always understood about their relationship to God, and what they had always understood about their relationship to Scripture. He turned it on its side, on its head, upside down and spanked it. You know, he, he just did it everything he could to get them to, to do a fresh perspective. To get a fresh perspective. Next. In this time of transition, I believe that all of you have a responsibility, individually and corporately, to take time to think biblically and theologically about your calling to be and do church. To reinterpret, reclaim, and to rearticulate the mission and ministry for the future. The way that I understand this, having coached Andy for years, this was never about Andy's vision. This was about a vision that he helped to establish but became a community vision. This is your vision. This is your community. 
you are going to decide how you're going to be church and do church into the future. And you will not, will not, will not wait on an interim pastor or the next pastor to come in and provide a vision for you. That would be the absolute worst thing that you could possibly do. When you're searching for a new pastor, what you need to say is, our community has said that this is our vision for the future. Do you want to come and help us accomplish that vision? As opposed to come pastor and give us a vision. Does that make sense? So you got work to do. And, you know, in this period of time, there may be people who come and shake you and slap you upside down on the bottom and do that kind of stuff because most of us don't like to change. We don't like to think about these things critically. But this is your job. You're mature people. You're committed to the community. This is what you need to do. Next. In the intimate setting of a dinner meal, in the simple act of blessing and sharing food, the travelers recognize Jesus. Next. So my question is, how will the members of the Mosaic community work to create intimate and intentional spaces and places in which the presence of the living Christ can be acknowledged and celebrated? And you've already talked about some of that this morning. These ladies' meetings, I, I was really a little worried as a traditional Baptist when the ladies' meeting has a glass of wine, you know, as the advertiser. I, I get, you know, I'm from the old south where, you know, that, that kind of stuff doesn't happen, but I realize, you know, I'm old school now. So. But maybe over a glass of wine, <laughs> you'll have these conversations, ladies. Guys, you need to you know, figure out a, a beer hall for you to go to or whatever, a pub house. Have, have the guys' version. If, if the women are meeting all this, kind of, the guys need to have theirs too. Where are going to be those intimate spaces? Maybe it's on that hike with these affinity groups. I think you've, you've had a, like watch, a walking dead affinity group in the past. Imagine having theological discussions around walking dead. I'm into Game of Thrones, so, you know, there could be theological discussions around Game of Thrones as well. So, where is that going to happen? But it has to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. It has to be intentional. And then this last one. In the passages, uh, when the travelers recognized the living Christ, they ran seven miles uphill in the dark to share the good news. What might happen when the members of the Mosaic community experience a fresh clarity of purpose, a fresh sense of vision, and the rebirth of hope? What would you be willing to do to share the good news? Okay, next. Next. Uh, first question. So this is where you get the feedback. At this point in the journey, the journey of the community, of what we've talked about this morning, what are you feeling? And now I know I'm asking men to talk about their feelings. Suck it up, guys. Do it. Excited. Excited. A sense of excitement. Where does that come from? What? Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Somebody else, where are you? And it's okay to be in different places. What are you feeling? Say again? Cautiously hopeful. Cautiously hopeful. 
You're not into a full-blown joy yet, but <laughs> okay, that's that's fine. Cautiously hopeful. Somebody else, what are you feeling? Fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown. You know what original sin was? It wasn't eating an apple. It was anxiety. It was fear. Adam and Eve feared that there was something out there that they couldn't have knowledge. And they acted on it. So original sin and all sin, in my opinion, spins out of anxiety and fear unchecked. But if you're able to name fear and anxiety and say, I'm anxious, let's deal with this, then some very creative things can happen. Somebody else? What you feeling? Somebody else? What are you feeling? This side's off like non-feeling over here. Sad. And that's fine. That's fine to feel sad. There's sadness about the loss of the individuals, the family. Probably more if you like Jennifer better than you like Andy anyway. So, And probably the girls even more than that. So, But the loss of that relationship, the loss of a vision, the loss of familiarity... Sadness, that's normal. Somebody else? Why don't you more? Maybe to go along with fear of doubt or how are the core families that we have now are going to come together and stay together. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Doubt. Seed of doubt planted. You know. And that's that's normal too. One more. Opportunistic. It's a sense to take ownership of who we are rather than to follow. Yeah. And I. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you won't do that. I don't, I don't sense you. Yeah. I would hope that, that all along in this process, that this has been a shared journey. That leaders have been there to coach and to guide and provide ideas, but the, the, the journey is a shared journey that everybody has bought into. And, and you know, you're not going to probably call somebody who's going to come in and say, "Thus saith the Lord, you're going to do this." I hope you don't. Uh, I hope that you stick to your guns and realize that this is an opportunity, a transition, a rebirth of hope. Okay, next one. Based on your own experience and your interaction with the text this morning, what are you thinking? Moving from feeling to thinking. Was there new insights? Uh, the comments and observations that I made, did anything resonate? Yes, ma'am. The whole idea that the community is driven by us, um, because it's like well, I think throughout our life, especially in a religious aspect, it's always center focuses pastor and priest telling us what to do and it really kind of opened a different compartment of my thinking when you said to approach it as this is our vision how are you going to help guide us to that 
that really is goes back to the heart of this gathering, yeah. this community. Uh, what we're going to do. And if you say that to a prospective pastor person, either male or female, by the way, you need to have, be open to having women as pastors. Um, if you say that, how will you plug into our vision and they get a grimaced look on their face? Chop it off right there. If they get an excited look, they're a candidate. <laughs> it's going to be one of your measures of who might be a good fit. What else are you thinking? They were dealing with something they didn't have a box for. Like they'd never had anybody come back to life. We don't have a box for this visit. We've never searched for a pastor. Exactly. So there are no rules, no boxes, okay. no standards. Exactly. So you're flying free, <laughs> which is terrifying and exciting at the same time. There are a lot of folks around who can coach you. And there are going to be some good people who are going to walk with you through this. Adam English is a colleague of mine. Amy's coming back next week to preach. Amy was one of my former students. I mean, these are good folks. So they're going to be people with you. But, but you're going to have to, they can coach, but it's your job to get out on the playing field and, and actually do the work. What are you thinking? I appreciate the letter for the passage this morning in the sense that these, these guys were walking quite a distance and sad and sad. Negative emotions of who someone care about, and then your guidance. Uh, but then you met somebody, and you suddenly it's like, that's, that's the one, that's it. And then you decided to go on a different journey. So I think, you know, that maybe where we are as a community and as a church, you know, sad and excited at the same time, and the community of Jennifer left uh, here and started a new ministry uh, at a new church. But to your point of and one thing to remember is too that Jesus is going to be walking with you I know that may sound really cliche or whatever but the living Christ is in the middle of this community and is a presence here and so Jesus is walking with you today, confronting you when you need to be confronted. Oh, you foolish hearts. <laughs> that kind of stuff. But then also supporting and sitting down at the table with you in a fashion. What else are you thinking? Two or three more. Yeah. <laughs> they could have just dismissed a lot of their you know, pain and, and sorrow. Yeah, there you go. I'm amazed that they actually I'm amazed that they actually made it to Emmaus without a woman to, to tell them where to go. Because you know they're not going to stop for directions. Yeah. We're getting into lots of cliches here, so Yeah. 
was when they recognized the hope and the joy for what was ahead. So kind of turning that into our own lives, not focusing on the sense of overwhelmment and just all of the negative, recognize the steps of faith along the way of our own journey, individually and And Jesus' first words to them when he got them all back together, Shalom, peace, calm down. Well, you, and you've got the high joy and you've got the fear, so find a nice place. Because if you're, if you're overwhelmed with emotions, you can't do. So find that, that level. Peace. You know, the phrase that is most often uh, repeated in the scriptures? Be not afraid. 365 times. One for every day. One more, one or two more. What are you thinking? I love how right after they get this read like a fresh sense of a fresh scene of Christ and a fresh I guess remember it, they immediately want to go and be in community with others. They want to go celebrate with they want to share the good news. Yeah. We, we got to tell. When was the last time you ran seven miles uphill in the dark? <laughs> so it, maybe we've got to go out of our comfort zones to share the good news because it's so exciting. One more. Good point there. While they were walking, they were being contemplative. So the idea that the spiritual life is go sit in the corner somewhere, uh, you can be contemplative as you're doing life. I have a whole deal that I do as parenting as a spiritual discipline uh, that, to try to turn in everyday acts into acts of spiritual growth. One more. Can we get the last question up? There we go. Additional comments or observations? I know we're running a little bit late. I'm a professor. I'm trying to think in 50 minute increments. I think honestly one thing that us as a community that we should do is we've got to understand that everybody has a calling and this is Andy's, you know, Andy Public, this is the next step in his journey was that he needed to, to make the transition. While it is upsetting for all of us that we, you know, lose a, a massive part of what Mosaic is, you know, like you say, that we need to come together as a community and realize that we make that up. We are, we, we create the calling for our community and we got to find somebody that fits our mold and helps us to gain, to, to, to take the next step on our I think I can safely say that when Andy expressed his calling, when I threatened to kneecap him and, you know, to keep him from going uh, into the military, that Sometimes ministers express their calling and it appears that their calling is way above everybody else's calling. But I think what he tried to do, and what I try to do, is to live out my calling and inspire others to do the same. So it's not that my calling is higher, better. It's mine is an example for what others can do.
Let's uh, pray a prayer together. Uh, I, I love the Celtic tradition of spirituality, and so I wanted to find a prayer that was kind of consistent with the idea of travel. So this is the prayer. If you bow your heads or if you'd like to read the prayer with me, this is the prayer before the uh, uh, praise team comes back. May the road rise to meet you. May the wind blow at your back. May the sun shine warmly on your faith, face. May the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God keep you in the palm of God's hand. Amen.